Hey, good morning, DCF family. Good morning. Welcome to those who are watching online. We're so glad that you're joining us and with us this morning. Um, there is just such a really beautiful sense of the Lord just wanting to, um, if I could describe it, He's wanting to displace the weariness, and He's wanting to just overshadow us with such beautiful joy. And... Um, joy and laughter and celebration. And what I love about the Bible and God's Word says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And so that's a big deal, you guys. The kingdom is one-third joy. And so obviously we know there's many more components to that, but a third of that is the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength and also that he brings times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. And so this morning, will you stand with me as we celebrate this goodness of the Lord that he gives us, um, that we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. There's a celebration in our heart that reverberates his goodness, and it becomes an expression um, in the earth today. It becomes an expression among one another with each other of his goodness and his kindness towards us. So Heavenly Father, we come this morning. Lord, we are so thankful for every good thing that you've poured out in our lives, Lord. We thank you that this morning for heavy hands, Lord, that you are the one who lifts them and raises them, Lord. For those with heavy hearts, Lord, that are weary, God, that you are the God who strengthens us. So Lord, this morning we come with adoration and affection towards our King who is the most worthy, Lord. We worship you and we honor you. We celebrate your great name, Lord. Thank you that this morning you have disarmed every enemy against us, Lord, by your victory on the cross, Lord. And that is something to celebrate, Lord. We worship you and we honor you and we bless your name. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all. i 
have a picture this morning. I have a picture of um, a set of scales. And what I keep seeing is that the sin are missing the mark is up here. And all of the good things that you keep trying to do to kind of balance that scale out like it's more and more and it's the good things and if I do this well or if I do this right or if I do this performance really good that somehow it's going to start to bring my side of the scale up and I literally saw and heard the Lord say stop striving to be good enough I am more than enough and I just saw just that that revelation and that knowing of just how good God is and what Jesus has done for you, that when the blood of Jesus hit the top of that scale, it just, it tipped it. And this morning, your righteousness is not based on your goodness and your acts and what you do and how you treat others. It's not any of those things. That is the byproduct of the goodness of the blood of Jesus in your life to wipe away every sin, everything you've ever done wrong in your entire life, past, present, and future. That the scales have been tipped in your favor because of the blood of Jesus. And there is nothing that can take that away from you. Nothing. It stands in your defense this morning that you are righteous, that you are the beloved, that you are delighted in. I love seeing this and and I'm sage kind of like having a little bit of a blooper up here. You know what? And she laughed. But can I tell you, you can laugh at those moments because you know that you're already delighted in and have the approval of the Father because it's not based on your performance. It is based on His goodness and His goodness alone. This morning, the blood of Jesus stands in mine and your defense for all of eternity. It is a covenant that cannot be broken. It has been settled by Jesus. Let's worship. It stands in my defense this morning.
already. Um, I love our worship and how that connects us to the heart of the Father. We're going to go into communion so you can be seated. We're going to shift what we're doing, but we're not shifting our heart space this morning. Jesus' heart and the Father's heart always was there for there to be communion, for you to walk in what was considered and originally in the garden in the cool of the day, that there would be no separation. And so this morning, as we take communion together as a family, Jesus had his disciples, and um, they were gathered around him in the Last Supper. And the Last Supper was not about a wafer and juice. The Last Supper was about the communion that he was restoring to the Father and the Father's heart for you and I. And um, so this morning, as you come and you grab your um, cracker and your juice, um, if you'll gather that, and then gather in little clusters of families, and let's do communion together. I'll kind of give us some instruction. Come up through the middle, grab your stuff, go out and gather around one another in little areas around the, the church and stuff, and in your seats, and then we'll have some instruction to do communion together. So when Jesus was at the table, he said that this is my body. I'm bringing a new covenant to you. I'm, I'm break, it, in this moment, and what you're about to see is that I am breaking my body physically so that yours could be made whole. So this morning, the stripes of Jesus were prophesied of that by his stripes, you are healed. By his stripes, you will be healed. By his stripes, today it is present and it is current. And it is the covenant to you for all of eternity until you take your last breath here on earth. That his body was broken so that yours would be whole. So this morning, Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken so that ours would be whole. Thank you that you put in place a sacrifice that speaks for all of eternity. That I have been redeemed from the curse of brokenness and sin in my body. In Jesus' name, thank you. Let's take the communion together. And then Jesus, he took the cup and he said with his disciples, he said, this is a new covenant that is coming. It is the blood that washes away and takes away every sin. This morning, um, every sin, every shameful thing that you've ever done has been washed in the blood of Jesus. By faith and believing that that work was complete and finished, it is a new covenant to you. It forever speaks the truth that I am forgiven and I am righteous and so are you because it's based on what Jesus has done. So Lord, we take this cup together this morning and we say thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you shed so that we could be free, that we could be free from sin's torment, Lord, and made fully, completely, wholly righteous. Lord, thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. Yeah, amen. Amen. There is no life apart from Jesus because of what he's done for us. There's no separation. There's no distance. He closed every gap. 
So if you ever hear the accuser telling you that God's far away, you need to tell him you're a liar. He closed the gap. He closed the distance. And um, that you're much loved. I, I remember having this aha moment for myself that even on my worst day, which can be a bad day. Anybody had a bad day? I'm the only one. So um, even on my worst day, I am still a much-loved daughter of the Most High God because it's not based on my performance. So my state in a moment does not remove me from my position in Christ. Neither does yours. Isn't that good news? Isn't that some good news? So amen, amen. Well, we're glad that you guys are with us this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Um, new guests and those online, you can connect with us through dothancf.com, the connection card, and um, that you're new here. Um, Dave's going to be giving us a little bit of an update of how we are going to be gathering together in community to journey together in this thing called life in this next season. And so um, he's going to be sharing a little bit about that in his message, but the thing of it is, is that community is that nobody needs to be alone. Isolation, depression, I love David Woodham's message last week. The statistics are real. And um, so you need to be in family. And the truth is, is that you do belong. You are part of family. There is the connection. There is the belonging. There is the praying for one another. There's the laughter together. There's the doing life together. There's the hanging out the bonfire together. There's the fire pit, you know I mean? So it's the meal around the table together. So community builds a culture, and there is a culture of deeply loving one another from the heart in this house. So we look forward to what that looks like as we're going forward together. And um, ladies, mark your calendar for February the 23rd. Um, it is our Thrive Evening, and um, it is for ladies. Sorry, guys. Um, it is for the ladies. Um, and we are going to be talking about friendship. Um, we are wired for connection, not just ladies, but men too and families too. But we are wired for connection, and we're going to be going into that a little bit um, on that particular evening and having a great evening. So um, we're going to dismiss our kids and our youth, and we'll be right back with our message continuing about community, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be right back. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, right out of the gate, didn't Sage and Alec do a great job this morning? Woo! Come on, you guys. Knocked it out of the park. Awesome stuff. We love it. Look forward to more of that. Um, Karen mentioned uh, community groups um, and the challenge as we go into the future. We've got a lot of transition coming. We're going to be sending out a vision email this week. And so uh, be looking out for that, talking about a lot of things that are going to be happening. And because of some of those things and some of the challenges as we're going into this new year, Rather than doing a whole bunch of groups, we're actually going to do one group. <laughs> and so last, the last season, we did one group three times during the week, which was awesome. But it was centered around something about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and drawing us together as a church. And so that's only the second time in the whole time that we've been here as a church that we, we've done that. So the first time was around grace, and it was, a, it was a truth that we were going to build in as a foundation in our church. And we did that many years ago. And it was phenomenal. And so, again, it was one of those places where we felt like as a church, we wanted to build into the ministry of the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit. And so we, we talk about our vision statement as a church and literally what we're called to do. Every church in, in any healthy church in America or in the world does two things. Um, they, it glorifies God and it makes disciples. That's how you know you're a healthy church. If you're not doing that, 
you're not part of the New Testament church, right? But every local church does that in a unique way. God calls us to do it differently. All kinds of different things happen. And so for us, we transform lives by encountering grace and the Holy Spirit. That's not just what we do. It's who we are. So we love transformation. We long for it. We preach into it. We go after it. We build it. That is what we do. So if you're wondering what our kids' church is like, they transform lives by encountering grace and the Holy Spirit. If you wonder what our worship team is doing, they're transforming lives by encountering grace and the Holy Spirit. Every part of our church, we have the same vision. We do it a little bit differently, a little bit uniquely. If you're in kids' church or youth ministry, we're going to minister that. The methods are going to be a little bit different, but we're going to do the same thing. And so as we gather together, going into this transition and in this new year, post-COVID, we've got some big dreams, big visions, and it looks like the Lord's going to be allowing, uh, is going to allow us to do some, some crazy cool things as we go into this year. But as we do that, we want to we draw everybody together and create space, first of all, for just fun and excitement. We're going to be doing it at our house. And so we, we live in a cul-de-sac, and we've got the biggest backyard you've ever seen in your life. And so it's, it's fenced in, so the kids can't get out, which is awesome, or the kids can't get in, depending on how you think about kids. <laughs> so we're going to also have a, a babysitter for, for little babies and for, you know, for some of the smaller ones, so that, that when we get gather together, we're going to have a short time of connection and dialogue. That's the difference about what we do on a Sunday morning, is you get a monologue for the most part, right? We do ministry, and we also do, like a, we do body ministry during worship time and, and with gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, those kind of things. But on a Sunday morning, for the most part, it's ministry to you and some through you. And so what we want to do is we want to give opportunities as we go into some of the transition we go into this year to give you guys space to hear from us, Karen and I specifically, and our elders and our deacons and our leaders uh, on a a weekly basis, and also give you an opportunity to ask questions, have dialogue, tell us what you're thinking, what you're sensing and feeling as we go into this new year. So we want to do that and just really go after unity as a body and connection, and relationship, and I don't know if you know it, but my wife has fun pants on most days, like she, she just never takes her fun pants off, so I'm kind of releasing her and a few other fun people in our church to just have some fun, and I'm not sure what they're going to ask us to do, but it, it'll challenge you if, let me just put it this way, Jeremy is going to be in trouble, because <laughs> he's an introvert, and probably going to have him singing karaoke, I don't know. We're just going to do some stuff that just, <laughs> no, right? So we're just going to do some stuff together and hang out together and have a good time. And so we want to really help you, help you become part of the family if you're not already or reconnect if you feel like you're disconnected. So that's kind of what we're going to do. We'll be sending out details for that. If you would, please sign up so we kind of know how to plan, especially with kids and some of those other things. And like I said, we'll be getting the information out to you as we kind of move forward. So let me start today. Um, Dave Woodham did a phenomenal job last week talking about community. He just, I told him like, man, that was amazing. So many awesome things that he did and said. And so I just love having other communicators come and, and minister to the front. Diane does that. Alan's done that. We've had several people, my wife, of course, different people bringing a perspective about, about certain things that we do. And every year, as Dave said, we do uh, Grace teams and community groups in January and February. That's what we do. We do it so you can just predict it. It's going, we're going to go after that in a big way. And the reason why is we want to go into some intensity about the things that are valuable in us as a church. And again, that goes after serving and, and, uh, and being in community are the two places that we really go after discipleship. Because it's a place that we connect relationally. 
this is good. Speaking from the front is good. Preaching's from the Lord's what we ought to do. That's never going to change. The methods may change, but the Lord called preachers to preach, and they're going to do it until he comes back. And that's awesome. We want that. But there are also other ways that drive us together and challenge us in discipleship. And those two major ways are how we serve together in the kingdom and the mission that we're on as a, as a church and mission as we're on as believers, but then also how we connect together community and in relationship. So as we kind of get into that, I want to I teach a series about how we take all the things that God's given us. Like in grace teams, he takes you know, the gifts that he pours into our life. We've got passions. We've got abilities. Um, there's so many things that are, that are unique about us, and, and then also at the same time that we all share in some ways. There's, you know, there's a limit to how many personality types are out there, no matter which kind of personality test you take. And I love that there's 8 billion or more people on the planet right now, and all of them fit into those boxes. Like, and you're probably sitting there going, I don't fit in any box, which is a box. <laughs> so there's always people like, I don't like for you to tell me what I do or what I am. It's like, we know, it's okay. We just kind of let you think that you're not in a box and you'll be fine, but we all know you're in a box. So the whole point is, is all of us, no matter how different and unique we are, and we are all individually different and unique, all fit into certain ways that God has designed us. And ultimately it's really ways he's invested in us. Um, I was listening to a podcast this week um, from Mike Rose. Some of you guys remember him from Dirty Jobs. He was interviewing uh, a lady named Gabrielle Reese, and she is 6'3". Let me start there. Um, and because of that, she said, I was uniquely gifted to be a volleyball player. <laughs> so she did, and she, and this is, um, she was an Olympic, uh, I mean, Olympian volleyball player. And, and she said she was talking about being 19 at the top of her game, and she said, and then she got asked to model, and she said she got into some of those things. But what was really interesting is she said, at the same time, I had all these unique abilities. She said, I was also dealt a really, you know, she said, I was dealt some high cards, no pun intended, being tall, right? She said, being athletically gifted, just my DNA. Um, she said, but I was also dealt some low cards. And she talked about her family and some of the challenges she had in her family, and you wouldn't know it because she's, she's an amazing mom, amazing business person. She's just amazing in a lot of different ways. But she said, it's really, you have to play the high cards, is the way she put it. And I love that. So she's, what she's saying is, hey, we all have challenges because we live in a broken world. And she's not a believer. It's just the way she positioned it. I love. And so we all have challenges, low cards, if you will, broken families. You know, um, maybe I, I grew up in poverty. There's a whole bunch of low cards that we were dealt in our hand because of the brokenness of the world and sin and all. We get all that. It's a uh, Christian worldview. But at the same time, you were dealt some seriously high cards. Like some of you guys are funny like really funny, and you're like, ah, I can't be funny in, in, in church. Yes, you can. It's, it's the funniest things that ever happen in church are when the, in the moments when they shouldn't be funny, which makes them 10 times funnier. So let me give you an example. We had a, a, a little girl, I say little girl, she's a grown woman with kids now, but she was 14 when we met her, and she was one of the leaders in our youth group, and we were in the church, and we would all gather around on Sunday mornings when we would pray, and so we had some people who weren't from America. This was up in Atlanta, so we had a lot, of, a lot of foreign people in there. And so this one person started praying, and somebody had mentioned the theme was like, feel like God's bringing a tsunami of his power and his presence. And so that was kind of the theme we were praying into. And this guy got seriously intent about praying against this wall. But the way he positioned it was this. He said, man, there's, there's this wall that's just holding back what God wants to do. And he goes, and he says, it's like a dam. You know, like you guys have seen a dam and it's, it's just huge and it's powerful and it's holding back. And just imagine that dam breaking and all the water. And so he said, so then he got super intense and he started praying. And he said it this way. He said, Lord, I just pray against this damn wall in the name of Jesus. 
And he just kept going on and on and on about the damn wall that needed to come down. And I, Chevy Chase, you know, and the, I, all these thoughts hit my head. And I was the youth pastor, and I was like, don't look up, don't look up, do not make eye contact with anybody, especially teenagers. And as much as I said, don't do it, I did. <laughs> and I looked at this little girl, and she just kind of, the way she did her face, I started laughing, then all the teenagers started laughing, then the whole church started laughing, and the damn wall came down. And I look at that and go, how interesting, because that, was, that wasn't supposed to be funny, Right? But it became one of those things where God said, I, I love this. Like, you just have this religious mindset about how I want to do things. But God used the uniqueness of this guy and his, you know, his, um, not inability, but his challenges with the English language as of yet, right? And at the same time, he used a teenager to go, come on now, that's funny, right? The uniqueness that she was willing to go, come on, like everybody admits that's funny, right? And I look at that and go, God used that to bring a breakthrough and I would have never picked him doing it that way, but he did it that way, and I love it. So anyway, we're all unique, obviously, and so we plug into this, but so often we run into challenges, right? As we kind of move forward, it's like, I don't know, maybe my gift, some challenges there, or I'm struggling with this, especially if you get into community, it's like, ah, first of all, I got to make a decision to go places with people, you know, and if you have any introversion at all in you, you're like, you know, if I'm honest, I'd rather stay home, like, there's the old joke that the, the pastor comes to the introvert, introvert, like Jeremy, I joke with Jeremy all the time, I'm like, you know, uh, you really should, it, now, by the way, Jeremy's fine with community group, he's, he's a mature believer, so he chooses to do it, even though it's hard, and so the pastor comes to the introvert and says, hey, man, you need to be part of something bigger than, you know, you need to be a part of a group. And he said, pastor, I'm part of the most amazing group you've ever seen in the, in the world. He said, it's me and Jesus. And he goes, it's the amazing, most amazing small group you've ever been in your whole life. He goes, there's no problems. There's no gossip. There's no issues. Don't need to leave the house to be in my group. And he just went on and on. And at some point, what are you, you going to say as a pastor? <laughs> it's like, your theology is flawed and you need to get your butt out of the house and go be with other people, even if it's challenging. So you got to make those decisions to go, I've got to move past what's comfortable and do what's helpful and healthy, even if it's uncomfortable to me. So a lot of that is I'm a, I've been hurt in the past by people, welcome to life, right? That's going to happen. But the tendency is to withdraw and be isolated. And let me just say it this way. There's no problem with privacy. privacy. There's no problem with um, with being alone. There's no problem with that. As a matter of fact, God will use those things in a big way right? But there is a problem with secrecy, <laughs> and there is a problem with isolation. We used to talk about like this with parents and their, and their teenagers. You know, the dad would take the door off one time. He took the door off with his, with his uh, daughter because she was doing things behind the door. She was trying to be secretive, and, he, and she would, her argument was, well, I got to get dressed. And he said, I left the door on the bathroom. <laughs> so you can be private, but in this house, we're not going to do secrets. And I, I love that because it's just a practical way to, to look at that. So whatever that looks like with you, you, you got to step out into some of those challenges. But as we live this life of faith, sometimes we, we run into some challenges and we're like, I'm not really sure Christianity is doing for me what people have said it's supposed to do. There's a big thing right now called deconstruction where um, a lot of young people are going, I was hurt really badly in church. I grew up in church. There was a lot of wrong things that I'm looking into that. And they're going back and they're trying to deconstruct and go, hey, what was really true? What was really healthy? What was helpful? And listen, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a good thing. I've done that and always will continue to ask those questions. I think we need to really ask those hard questions. The challenge is so often is we use that as an excuse to not be truthful in our own hearts. 
right? And so we hide behind things instead of coming right out and going, hey, I want to ask the hard questions and see if the Lord has an answer, right? We'd rather just go, hey, that's a perfect excuse, and now I've made the excuse, and I can hide behind it until, you know, again, what we see in that, when that happens is that usually ends in, in tragedy, right? The, the brokenness and the hurt and the isolation, the enemy takes advantage of that in, in so many different ways. So my challenge always is when, when you see someone's life, it's not doing what it's supposed to do, right? And they go, I'm a Christian, and, you know, I had this experience with Jesus, and I, I've seen this. If you watch YouTube, if you're online at all, you'll see this, where people have had, you know, they're, they're coming out of Christianity, right? And they're telling their story. And I, I love to watch those. Those don't, those don't offend me, and, and those don't scare me. I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid of it at all. I love to listen to those, because every time I listen, what I find is, usually, and this has been my observation over about 30-something years in ministry, is that if Christianity isn't working for you, it's probably because you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's, I, I know that can be challenging. It's like, oh, you don't understand, you know, the nuances. And I'm like, oh, I get nuances. I understand. I live life too. But I also know that it's real easy to make excuses and let things, you know, let things get in the way of you being honest with yourself and honest with others and answering some of the hard questions. And so this is what, I say this all the time. You've heard me say this a million times. If you do God's thing, God's way, you get God's results, Right? This has been my discovery in my own life and the lives of other believers as well. If you do God's thing. So in other words, God has a way, right? Jesus is the way. Jesus taught a way. Jesus modeled a way. And then he said, hey, as disciples, you live this way too, right? So if you do God's thing, God's way, you get his result. But what we'll do is we'll do God's thing my way. <laughs> I want to, you know, marriage is God's idea. But let's be honest, all that archaic stuff in the Bible, that's not really how we live life. It needs to be modern. We need to do this. True story, I, I read a, a story not too long ago of a pastor that got in a mess because his marriage wasn't doing well in the intimacy area, and so he decided to incorporate porn because his therapist said that would be a good idea. And first of all, I was like, I don't know where you went to Bible college, but I'm pretty sure that's a bad idea, right? But I look at that and go, as much as I know, just common sense, you would think that's not a good idea. You know, if you're having problems in, in, in intimacy with your spouse, the best thing you could do is bring in other women, right, to help. Like, are you serious, right? What a dumb thing to do. But people are falling prey to that stuff all the time. And part of the reason why is they're, they're saying, I really want to do God's thing, but if I'm honest, I don't want to submit to the way he says to do it, right? Uh, you see this all the time with young people right now. It's like, well, you know, well, Jesus just, he didn't mean, you know, not have sex before marriage. What he meant was only have sex with people that you love and care about, really. And I was like, first of all, you're a liar and you're not doing that. But second, even if, even if you do really do believe that, you can just look statistically and know that it, it, it fails every single time, right? So, so here's what we, we go after if we're not careful. We, we say, if I can't do God's thing my way, I'll try to do my thing God's way. <laughs> and so then you're just like, I've got these patterns. So a lot of this comes out like in religion, how you grew up. And this is where that deconstruction, deconstruction could come in handy. So all these things that happened in your life in the past, in, your, in growing up years, you just, you, you develop this methodology. You see this a lot, in, especially from Pentecostal side of things. You grow up in a, this is how you did church, right? This is how you did ministry. This is how you did the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so you learn all these things. And my question is always, how much of what you learned was actually God, right? And the right methodology and the right way of doing it. And how much of it was just, that's what your pastor did, or that's what your mom and dad did. And not again, that all of those things are wrong. I'm just saying, it's a good thing to ask. Am I doing, am I trying to do my thing um, God's way? I'm, I'm mixing it, if, is, is the best way to put it. So Jesus 
made this interesting promise that kind of connects all this. This is in Matthew 6.31. This is the New Living Translation. I always tell you that it, it says translation, but it's paraphrased. <laughs> Verse 31, 6.31, he says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? So common things, right? He said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, people who don't have Jesus in their life, don't have a connection with the Father, these are the things they think about on a regular basis. And it dominates their thoughts. He says, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So what he's pointing at instantly is going, the problem is you're not going to the source. <laughs> right? You're trying to start, so you ever try to pick up a movie in the middle? Like most movies, most books, almost everything that's done well, if you don't watch the first 10, 10 minutes of the movie, the movie is not going to make any sense whatsoever, right? And, and this, the same thing is true. If you try to come into the middle of something and do it your way, it's going to mess it up. So Jesus is just saying this. He said, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. In other words, the, connection, the problem isn't that your needs aren't being met because God doesn't want to meet them, right? So something's off, but it's not from God. And he goes after it this way. He says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Prioritize the kingdom. And what will happen if you do this? This is what Jesus is saying to his followers then, and he's saying this to you this morning. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, right? Recognize the righteous gift that Jesus gave us in his blood on the cross. And we talked about that during communion. Karen did a great job with that. So seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and this is what will happen. He will give you everything you need. Not everything you want, <laughs> right? But definitely everything you need. And I think that's the challenge is to say, God, but I want so many things. And God's like, I know, but you can't have both. And we're going to get into that in just a second. So it, it even happens in how we have taught people in the past to evangelize. Um, remember the question, have you asked Jesus into your heart? You need to ask Jesus into your heart, right? So where is that in the Bible? right? I mean, big picture, it's the, it's the story of the Bible, right? It's like you need to connect with, and this is kind of how we, we, we think about it, but listen to the semantics. I mean, I know it is semantics, but listen to the words. Have you asked Jesus into your heart or your life? Is that how that's actually supposed to work? It's almost as if I've got a really nice house, right? And it's, something's not working with the house. I had more kids than I thought I was going to have, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I need to build on a room. So I, I, I hastily build onto a room and go, this is, Jesus, this is your room, right? I, I'm asking you into my life. I'm, asking, I'm, I'm putting an addition onto the house, right? And then the plumbing doesn't work. The electric doesn't work. The roof leaks. The floor's uneven. And you're like, stupid room, <laughs> right? But if you ever lose your house, like the, right across the street over here, one of the houses, this is several years, years ago, the house burnt down, and there was a couple of walls that were still kind of half standing. And I watched them as I would come in, you know, every day to work. I would watch, and they didn't just clean it all up and then leave those walls up and then build around it. Anybody know what they did? Tore it to the ground. Why? Because it, it wasn't, you can't just add on to something like that. It's going to create problems. So they said, even though it's more challenging, they tear, they tear everything down, rebuild the foundation, and build a new house. And this is what happens with you and I. So often, we, when we examine scriptures and the call that Jesus has on our life, what we see is uh, he's not a helpful addition, like an addition to, to our room. He's not a helpful addition to our life. He's supposed to be our life. So technically, what I'm really saying is, um, rather than inviting Jesus into your life, 
One reason why Christianity may not be working for you, why these things might, you're like, I'm not sure this is really working, is because you've done that. You've asked Jesus to come into part of your life. This is what I see so often. This is my observation again, 30-something years of ministry. When people's lives aren't working out, believers, and it's like, it's just not working. I'm running all these problems. I'm fully submitted to Jesus. I'm doing everything right. I'm like, are you though? (laughs) I mean, maybe you are, and it's just an attack from the enemy. But at some point, the Bible says, you know, if you submit yourself to God, which again, is that making him first thing, and resist the devil, what happens? The Bible says he'll flee. So if your life is always under attack, maybe the problem is not the devil, right? Maybe some of the problem is, maybe there's ways of thinking that need, you know, it's what repentance is, is take on a new mind. Maybe there are ways of thinking that you grew up with and, you know, and you're going after all these different things in a way that actually isn't biblical. And so what my discovery has been, when I discover God's way of doing things and I began to do it, it works every single time. doesn't mean there's not persecution that comes against me. It doesn't mean there aren't outside forces that come against me. It just means that the internal pressure now has been created by God, not just to match the external pressure, but to supersede it. Right? So now my life becomes an abundance that flows out into other people's lives to bless them. Their problems and issues and challenges and brokenness don't flow into my life and wreck me. See how that works? So an example, again, um, Warren Buffett, I don't know if you guys know, he's one of the richest men that ever lived. Um, he's not super famous, but I've read some of his stuff. And he made a, an interesting statement. Um, he said, never invest in a business you can't understand. So... <laughs> That was free of charge, investment advice from your pastor. Maybe not the best place to get your investment advice, but biblically, he's, he's right. And I think this is one of the challenges. So often we're involved in, in Christianity. We're involved in our walk and our discipleship and with the Lord. And we have taken some things for granted and we built things that we would consider part of our foundation that are actually gonna crumble. And so Jesus, you know, again, put it another way. He said, he said, there's a, there's a storm coming in life. We live in a broken world. There's a storm coming. There's an enemy of your soul. There's brokenness in the world because of sin. All this stuff is gonna come, right? He says, so the storm's coming. If you think you're not gonna hit a storm, you don't understand life, right? And Jesus is saying this, right? There's gonna come a day where there's no storm, but now storms are coming. And so he said, it isn't that the storm isn't coming for you. The only issue is how did you build your house? Right? And so he said the way to build the house, is he, and, he, and he just makes it super simple. He goes, you don't build your house on the things I've said, right? He goes, you build, the things on the, you build your house on the things I've said, and then you do it. It's not intellectual knowledge. You don't know things about God. It's your relationship. It's being submitted. It's putting God first in priority and going, I'm seeking the kingdom first, and then I'm trusting that in, when I do that, when the storm comes, the house is not going to fall. But if the house isn't built on the rock, the foundation of hearing the words Jesus said and then doing them, then what's going to happen is when the storm comes, not if, but when the storm comes, your house is going to fall. And I love how Jesus put it, and great will be the fall thereof. I don't know what that means, but it sounds ominous, <laughs> right? In other words, it's not just going to fall, it's going to fall hard. And that's what we see in our life. So I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus as an economist, um, you know, Warren Buffett, uh, wasn't an economist, but he understood, understood economies. He understood capital. 
Um, you know, there's lots of people you can go find investment advice. Uh, there's a big thing right now in our, in our culture about whether we should be a socialist country or a capitalist country. You know, and most of you guys are probably conservative if you're from the South. And so you're like, socialism, oh, it's horrible. You know, it's, everything's going to die. And so there's a little piece sometimes that we miss that just to kind of get your brain flowing a little bit where Jesus talks about giving to the poor, <laughs> right? And the and way he says it is this. He said, the poor you will always have with you. So in this world, there's something of that socialist kind of mindset, that liberal mindset that says, hey, you know what? There are poor people that we should be aware of and we should help. Now, if you come from the other side, you're like, get a job, <laughs> right? Like, you know, work, if, you, if you give a man a fish, you know, he, he eats for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. Those are the things we do, right? So Jesus comes and he challenged some of our, some of our thinking about how we should help other people. But he also speaks to us on a regular basis about not worrying about other people, but worrying about yourself. Get your own stuff right, and everything will come from that. So Jesus is probably not the person you think of as an economist. Uh, Dallas Willard said Jesus wasn't just kind. He wasn't just good. He was brilliant. And I don't know if I've ever read that from anywhere else, that we, you know, we assume that Jesus was a good religious leader. He was a great prophet. He was a rabbi, teacher. But rabbi and teacher meant... A rabbi meant teacher, and in another kind of way, it meant master. In other words, you know, the disciples are the Padawans for you Star Trek fans. I'm just kidding, Star Wars fans. <laughs> I knew that would get you. So, <laughs> but it's, it's the person who serves. You know, you come in and you're, you're serving with an electrician. What's the phrase for that? You know, a plumber. You come in and you're serving with them for a season until you get good at it, and then you become the master. You don't start out the master. This is what they said of Jesus, right? He's the master at this. And so he's brilliant. And he's actually one of the best economists. Well, he's not one of. He's the best economist that you've ever seen in your life. So why is that important? Part of the reason why is that we, we sometimes miss the practical sides of Christianity, right? I'm all about the supernatural. I love the power of God. I love miracles. I love signs and wonders. I believe that Jesus called us to introduce the world to the kingdom of heaven that way. In other words, when people see the power of God, it's, it's like it's not going to be just another day for them. They're going, to, they're going to go, whoa, that just happened. I need to check into that, right? So it's a good thing. But also know that Jesus lived a practical life. He took three years and he invested into 12 guys who then was going to take what he taught and modeled and did. And they started teaching and modeling and doing. And then as they did that and made new disciples and other disciples, it went from 12 people to the whole rest of the world. And you and I are believers, if you're a believer this morning, because 12 of those people sat under Jesus for three years and received instruction from the master, right? And so that's what we're all trying to do. So what did Jesus do? Jesus taught about economy all the time. He taught about money more than anything else except the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? And so, so what's really interesting so often, though, is he talked about the kingdom of God in economic ways. He, he would talk about... God's reign in earth in terms of money, right? And so this is a passage. This is Luke 16, 1 through 13. I just, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I want to read it because I'm setting the stage to talk about this as we kind of move forward. So Jesus is about to introduce economy into the context of what it means to have a master, to serve a master, and how all that works, right? So he's about to tell this story. And, uh, and so he's introducing this concept of capital. 
right? It's, it, was, it wasn't new. We'd seen it. You know, you, you have capital. Capital is just something that you have of value that you can invest and grow your, your wealth, right? So it's something, something of value you can take. Money, we think of money mostly, but it's something of value that you can take and use that to grow your wealth as a whole, right? Grow your life and your wealth in your life. So here's, here's what Jesus does. He starts this story, and this story is really interesting. So let me set it up for a second. It's called the shrewd manager, or another version calls it the dishonest manager or the shrewd steward. <laughs> so the story, this parable, is really interesting because when Jesus starts telling this story, he's telling a story about money and economy and, and management and administration and a whole bunch of natural things. So listen to the story. This is Luke 16. It says, Jesus told his disciples, remember he's teaching them, and everything he's saying is important. He's got three, three years with them. They don't know that. But he's only got three years to put this in him. So everything he says has value. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. So he's holding him responsible and accountable. Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. He's firing him, <laughs> right? So when he realizes this, the manager does, verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. Don't you love it? My master's taking, I'm not, I didn't lose my job. I didn't do something stupid and cause this problem. Instantly, he's like, not my fault. I'm a victim, right? Right out of the Bible. He's like, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master, evil guy, is taking away my job. And I love this. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. <laughs> That's like, like gets right into the nitty gritty. He's like, I ain't digging holes, man. I might do something, but I ain't going back to landscaping. No way am I doing that, right? And I'm not begging. I have too much dignity. I've had, I have a suit on now. I'm not going back. So verse four, he says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, not my fault, still not my fault, but when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. <laughs> so he's a little bit shifty, obviously, right? As we kind of go in this. And remember, Jesus is telling this story to make some points. So he goes, uh, verse five, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. So remember, he's the steward of the house. And these guys, don't, they don't owe him money. They owe the master money or resources, right? So he says, um, calls in his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he, re he replied. That, by the way, that's a lot of olive oil. I don't know how much you use in a given year. <laughs> we buy the, you know, Sam's Club version of it, and it's about this big. It's not even a gallon, and we still have it. I think it's probably 800 years old or something. I don't know. Anyway, this is a lot of olive oil. So he goes on. He says, so he asks, uh, uh, sorry, he goes, uh, the manager, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Then he asks the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, um, take your bill, make it 800. You see what he's doing, right? He's, he's being shrewd. Maybe not honest. That's why it called, it's called the dishonest manager in some versions. But, but, but watch what happens. The next verse said, verse 8, the master commended him. Like, I mean, the guy's like, this is like Jacob in, in, the, in the Old Testament. It's like, this guy's, he says, you know, I'm not buying a car from this guy. I can tell you that right now, right? But he goes, the master commended the dishonest manager. So he's acknowledging him that he's dishonest but at the same time, commending something about him. So let's just be straightforward. Jesus is not commending his dishonesty. So if you read that into the scripture, you have more problems than biblical translation, okay? He goes on, he goes, the master commended the dishonest manager. Why? Because he acted shrewdly. And then he made an interesting comment about the difference between believers 
people of the light, right, in the world, he said this, this way. He said, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Um, he, another way he put it is he said, be wise, um, wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, right? So he's, he's building something. He's trying to teach us something. We, some of us have been taught as believers that you just always have to be nice. No, you don't. And that's part of the problem. You know, it's like, I wonder why people are beating me up all the time. Why are people taking advantage of me? Because you're being too nice, <laughs> right? What you need to do is rise up and be kind, but have healthy boundaries, right? So we can get into that in another time. But he goes, I tell you, and this is interesting. He's, he's literally, Jesus is now commending his disciples to this. So use an example. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. What? Buy your friends? Yes. Purchase your friends, not online, because those aren't real friends, <laughs> right? But Jesus is saying there's something about economy and capital exchanging one thing for another that's valid, and this guy recognized how to do that well. Should he have done it that way? No, of course not. But what he's doing is really interesting, and it's different than what most of us have been taught about how to live our Christian life. So he says, again, tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Here's why. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So he's saying, he's actually talking about a whole bunch of capital exchanges here. You're exchanging one thing for another, and then that thing for another, and that's what he's going through here. So he says, listen to it again. He says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone. So in other words, when all of your worldly wealth is gone, and it will be, <laughs> nobody gets buried with their money. Well, maybe you do, but somebody will dig it up and get it, right? Welcome to, to Egypt. That's what happened. They raided all the tombs, almost all of them, and took it all, right? So you can't take it with you. We know this. Naked I came into this world, naked I'm going out. So he goes after this, again, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when all of that is gone, all of the wealth is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, relationship, which is one of the capitals we're going to get into in a minute, and where we've been talking about with community groups and relationship and why if you're an introvert, maybe you don't have a lot of capital, relational capital that, to spend, but whatever capital you have, you need to spend it. You need to do something with that capital to, be, to have friends and family. And, and when I say friends, I mean real friends that are basically family, right? Maybe stronger than family, right? This is what Jesus is going. You have to build into this. And if you don't, you're going to regret it. So he says, if you do this, it turns out that people are eternal. Money's not. You want to really do a study on socialism, go look at heaven. It's actually not socialism. <laughs> it's a kingdom, right? A king rules that place, but he's a good king. And that's the only way any kind of economy works, right? Is the one who holds all the wealth is also good. And nowhere on earth is that true in, you know, in the world we live in right now. So he goes on, um, verse 10, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little. It's another context. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. This is a good way to do an interview if you're hiring somebody for a job. If you find out how they live their life in the small things, how you do the small things is also how you do the big things. 
And I wish that weren't true. I wish, I wish, but it is. So, you know, there's a, a, a famous psychologist wrote a book called The 12 Rules of Life, which he stole right out of the Bible. And he freely admits that, right? He's like, all, these, all of these come right from scripture. And he said, one of them is, the first one is, if you don't clean up your room, how are you gonna change the world? <laughs> right? And his point is, if you're not willing to bring order to your room, and I'm talking to some of you single guys, if there's a single guy in here, maybe single, maybe. Maybe we're talking to whole families, I don't know. But if you aren't willing to clean up your room and bring order to your own room, right, and make your bed, I hate that, but I do it. <laughs> if you're not willing to bring order to that small part of your life, what are you actually doing with the rest of your life? Same thing. You can say it's not true all you want. Jesus begs to differ. <laughs> so, so what does that mean? Jesus is saying these concepts these concepts that, 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 you know, you think about the big decisions in your life and the big, you know, the big events in your life and you're like, oh, I got to get those right. You know, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to college? You know, all these things. Am I going to have one kid or 20? Whatever. You know, these are big decisions probably your wife should be involved in. But the whole point is if you have these big decisions to make and you stress over the big decisions, you're already going to get it wrong. You know why? Because how you're making the little decisions is exactly how you're going to make those. And if Jesus is at first, if you're not seeking the kingdom in the small decisions you make on a daily basis, you are not going to seek the kingdom when the big ones come, right? And part, and part of the reason is because, is because exactly what Jesus said, the small things matter. And he's pointing this out. He's saying that part, part of what he's doing, he's commenting on this, this shrewd manager and he's going, you know how he could have done this better? If he'd have started from scratch, not being dishonest, but being honest and shrewd, Right? So he's like, he was dishonest and shrewd. Love the shrewd part. That's good. I don't like the dishonest part. So he's just saying, if you do the small things well, this guy, one, he's not going to lose his job, right? He blames it on the master, but it's not the master's fault. It's his fault. He's, he's not doing well. But if, he, if he'd done the small things, you know what? If you show up on time, welcome to the Western world. Any other part of the planet, you can go and you show up 20 minutes late. Nobody even knows because they're not starting service they don't have a time to, there's a general sort of start. We did this in Mexico and it drove me nuts. We, we were doing mission work and I, I asked the guy, his name was Lee, our, our friend who was also a missionary, what time does service start? And he said, well, and I knew it was going to go bad from there. Well, kind of 637. I'm like, 637 is not a time, right? That's between two times. Pick one. But that's exactly what happened. 6.37, somewhere, that's where we started. But in the Western world, you can't do that. Show up on time. And showing up on time, by the way, is not showing up on time. It's showing up five minutes early. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Some of you guys are going, oh, I have so many things to repent of already. So, <laughs> sorry. Sorry if I'm challenging. But here we go. Finish this out. <laughs> if you have not been trustworthy, listen, this is where he goes after the big things. Like, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. So if you don't have a budget, let me just challenge you. You need to have a budget. Not because Dave Ramsey is Jesus, although he's close. <laughs> At least in financial. <laughs> he's got some growth in some other areas. But financially, he gets a lot of that kingdom stuff right. I disagree with a few points here and there, but you know, that's, 
That's our prerogative to do that as we grow up in, in, in the things of the kingdom. But what I love about him is he just challenges everybody. He's just like, lady called in. She said, I can't afford, I'm going to have to sell my van. I can't afford my van. You know, it's just, oh, it's just killing me. And he said, well, oh, where are you? You know, he goes after the details. Well, I'm upside down. He goes, well, you need to sell the van. She goes, but if I sell my van, I won't get what it's worth. And so, you know, Dave's a math genius and a common sense genius even more. And he says, so if you wait, will it gain more worth or less? And she's like, uh, less. He goes, sell it right now when you get off the phone with me, <laughs> right? He said, why did you buy it? He goes, you're a single lady. Why do you have a van? True story. She said, because I have six dogs and I want to take them with me everywhere I go. Oh, he had a field day with that one. It's a classic, man, what he said to her. She was almost crying at the end, but also had an answer to her problem, right? Her dogs were running her life. That's really what he was getting after. But this is what he's saying. This is what Jesus is going after. He goes, if you don't understand worldly wealth, if, you, if, if Warren Buffett is a better economist than Jesus in your perspective, you've already missed the boat. But even Warren Buffett says, don't invest in something you don't understand. I want to be a believer. I, I'm trying to grow as a disciple. Have you read the book? <laughs> are you connecting in community group? Are you serving? Are you doing the things God's called you to do? Are you, are you doing the little things? Do you have a habit of reading your Bible? Have you read the entire Bible yet? How many times? I don't understand it. Guess what? You keep reading it, you're going to understand it more. Do you think you're going to understand it more by not reading it? Or <laughs> you see where I'm going with all this is common sense. that We call these the disciplines. But, but they're little things that if you don't put these things in place, if you don't have, if you're not working on your marriage, your marriage is going to fall apart. So what are you doing this week to work on your marriage? Do you have a date night? Well, we can't afford a date night. Yes, you can. Just have it at the house. What about my kids? Lock them in the closet with some Skittles. They'll be fine. And tell them if they're good, you'll turn the light on. I mean, I, I don't have kids, but I, I think that would probably work. <laughs> some of you guys are like, what was this sermon about again? I don't even know. So what's, let me wrap it up. He goes, he says, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, you hear that? If, if you want to run your own business, if you want to start, so you want to do something purposeful in this life, learn how to serve other people. Why? Because that's the, that's the way you get your own. You know, two reasons. One, because you, you serve someone else and that's the way God, God works in relationship. We're going to get into this in the series in a big way, how he works through relationships with one another. But the other thing you learn is what it means for someone to serve you and your purposes and not take advantage of them because you didn't want to be taken advantage when you're serving someone else and their purposes, right? So there's, God understands this way better than we give him credit for if we would just do it. And as I, what I've learned is I trust the Lord enough now where if he says to do something, I just say yes. I don't need to understand it all, right? Because I understand the perfect good God who loves me more than I can even love myself. But if I want to, to really grow, I have to walk in understanding. And that means spend time with Jesus. Jesus took three years to take all the capital that he put into these, these disciples' life. They had to make the decision to receive it and then reinvest it in the way he had done that with them. So we're going to get into that. So last verse, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And listen to this, you cannot serve both God and money. Sure you can, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm not a giver as a believer. 
then, then I question you understanding what belief is in the first place. Because part of being a believer is going, Lord, it looks like you're the source of all, everything. It turns out the breath I breathe, the ability to do it, everything I have comes from you, right? And he, and he goes after this in so many passages in Scripture. So at some point, if, I don't, if I'm not able to be generous, I have not really believed in a generous God. I believed in a, in a tightwide God, right? And so often we've done that. And again, some of this could be some deconstruction that you need to do about someone ripped you off. Your pastor did a terrible thing or you saw abuse in the kingdom with pastors and money. And I get all that. I understand it, right? But at some point, you still have to own the accountability of going, God, what are you asking of me? What everybody else does is up to everybody else. My job is to, is to help equip you for the call and the work that God has given you to serve and the gifts and all the inheritance and the capital he has put in every single one of you guys. But at the same time, I have to make choices about how I'm investing the capital and the things that God have, has given into me. I can't invest yours as much as I'd like to. I would just love it. You guys just bring all your money, put it here. I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is buy a plane because I need to get around quick. I just, it's, I feel like that's important, whatever. Maybe a Lamborghini, also fast, something about fast. But at some point, we'll spend some of it on, on the kingdom. I would love that. Take the pressure off of you. I have a better house and car. It'd be nice. Not how God designed it. He said, here's what he said about giving. He said, you decide personally between you and him what you're going to do when it comes to giving. People say, what should I give? You decide... <laughs> right? What between him and you understand how this works and get busy doing it, right? That's just a side note. So let me wrap it up with just a couple of things. I want to put this up on the screen. These are the capitals. Um, and so I'm skipping around a little bit because we're going to build into this as we go into this, this, uh, uh, this series. But here are the five capitals. You got spiritual capital, relational, physical, intellectual, and financial, okay? So let me just very quickly as we wrap this up, I'm going to go through this parable that we just talked about and show you how Jesus talked about all five of these capitals and the order that they're supposed to go in, right? So once you see it, you'll never unsee it, right? You'll, it'll always be there. But some of us probably have never seen this before. So the first one, again, we see this when he comes on, when the manager realizes he's about to get fired, right? So um, even before that, the first two, two, one, two uh, capitals are spiritual and financial, so this is where you see that in the last line of that, of that passage I read. He says, you can't serve God and money. So if you look at that list, spiritual capital is at the top, right? It's kingdom. This is the way kingdom is designed. Spiritual capital is the most important. Financial capital is the least important. Hear me, financial is still a capital, right? So it's not that money is irrelevant. Two mistakes you make with money, you make it all about money or not at all about money. And either way, you're going to lose right? It's not money isn't important. It is. It's incredibly important. You want, it, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, nothing wrong with having tons of money. Just don't let tons of money have you, right? And tons of money might be you're single and you just got to raise, or you could be a millionaire. It doesn't matter. So, so two bookends right off the bat, Jesus says, I'm going to talk to you about two capitals. One's spiritual, one is financial, and this one's at the top and this one's at the bottom. Then he goes through, you did, that's the first two. And then the second one, he, he realizes he's going to be, be fired. And then he, he identifies the, the next capital, which is physical capital. Okay. And here's how he said it. He goes, I'm not as strong enough to dig. <laughs> I love that passage. <laughs> he's like, I'm limited on my, on my physical capital. I ain't the man I once was, right? <laughs> he's like, whatever I'm doing, I'm not going back to landscaping. He's like, I, I know what I'm good at. Right. And, and, and physical capital is simply time and energy. So how, how does that work? We're going to get into that uh, as we go into this series. So this, that's, that's the third one, physical capital. It's kind of right in the middle. 
And then, the, um, so that identifies financial, spiritual, and physical. And then as you come across the next part where he says, he's contemplating the idea. He says, I know what I'll do, right? And so this is the picture of what we call intellectual capital, which is ideas, knowledge, and creativity. Some of you guys in this room are incredibly creative, right? You don't know a single thing about money, which is a bad thing, right? Because people are going to take advantage of your creativity. They're, you're going to paint something and somebody's going to go, oh, that's only worth so much, and you're going to believe them. <laughs> so you need to become shrewd, right? If you're going to be a, a creative person in this world and don't get taken advantage. One of my favorites is, hey, you could just do that as an intern, and, and you know what you'll get out of it? You'll get experience. And I get something for free as a business owner. And anytime somebody says that to you, you go, no. You want something from me, you pay for it, just like everything else. Now, it might not, you know, in 10 years, what I do might be more valuable, but it's not of no value right now. That's just a side note. So anyway, that's the other one's intellectual, capacity to think creatively. It's called intellectual capital. And then the last one, you see there, it's the second one down, is relational capital. So this is the one we're going to spend some time on. So here, again, let me wrap it up with this. Jesus comes in, he, he, he uses this manager to talk about all these capitals and how they should be invested. But he also modeled this in his life, right? So Jesus comes along, and he's got spiritual capital. Where does he get it from, right? Well, he was born with it. No, no, no. Let's, let's challenge that. Jesus is the one and only Son of God in the context that he is the Son of God. He is also God. We're not going to get into all that. But then he says to us, you can be sons and daughters of God. You're not, you can't give your life away for everybody's sins because there's a uniqueness about Jesus. We get that, right? But he tells all these stories about fathers investing in their sons. He tells stories about masters investing in stewards. All this is a picture of there's, there's someone who is giving us a tremendous investment, right? Some, God has given us in so many ways, you uniquely, maybe you have way more intellectual capital than your peer. Maybe physically you have tremendous capital. Maybe, you know, whatever. Maybe you're so good at relationships. Maybe you're the crazy extrovert that makes friends with everybody like my wife, right? Whatever, you've been given high cards and low cards, right? But here's what Jesus taught him, his, his people to do. He said, I'm, I'm going to model this. I'm going to go away and pray and be alone with my father. Why? Why would he do that? He would literally leave revival moments and go be alone with God. That makes no sense. Why would he do it? And the answer is he was building spiritual capital. The single most important thing in spiritual capital is your relationship with the king. So if you think of him as a, as a father, you're already halfway there, right? But he's a father that's inviting you into the family business. And if you don't understand how capital works, you'll get the relational side of it, but you'll never understand how to exchange different capitals and build your way up and become more wealthy According to Jesus, the most important wealth is this spiritual capital. So again, you see this happen with Jesus and his disciples. Then he takes physical capital, right? So he takes his time, his energy, and what does he do with it? He picks 12 guys, and he says, we are going to go camping, <laughs> right? A lot. We're going to camp a lot. Because that's just what it, they would walk, and they would stay the night somewhere, sleep on the ground. If, they, if someone opened the door for them, that's great. But you would watch him pour into these disciples. He was taking his time, his energy, his physical capital, right? And he was investing in these men, these young men. And he was pouring that out. Why? Because he, he was teaching them, this is what you do. You build friends for eternity. 
Because people are the only thing besides God that's eternal, right? Demons, obviously, but I'm just talking about spiritual beings. Out of everything that we're investing in here, buy the biggest house you want. I watched something the other day, and they were talking about all these mansions that these famous people bought when they got a bunch of money and that now sit abandoned. I'm like three, six, seven, ten million dollar mansions that literally are sitting abandoned. It's horrible. And it's what's worse is what happened in their life. So what Jesus said is take your money. Learn to be generous. Take your money and give your money away. Do you give all of it away? Right? I don't know. What did Jesus say? So we always come back to that scripture and Jesus tells the, the rich young ruler, he says, Here, here's the problem. The problem is you love your stuff more than anything else. You love financial capital. You take everything, you take relationships and use it to build financial capital. That's a picture of how the world does it, right? You, if you're in the, if you're in the um, and we're going to get into this in the series, but if you are in the intellectual world, if you are a professor, you will spend all of your physical capital, time, energy, and effort. You spend all of your money, all of your relationships to build what? Intellectual capital, right? And that becomes the supreme. That becomes the one at the top. And Jesus is just saying, you can't serve two masters. So as you're building, as you're looking at your life, look at your capital and look at all these. Look at your financial capital. Is your financial capital at the bottom in your life with God? Or is it somewhere in the middle? <laughs> or is it somewhere at the top? If it's at the top, Jesus says, at some point, and this is how he put it, he said, your heart, right, wherever your heart is, that's where your, where, where, sorry, wherever your treasury is, that's where you're gonna, your heart is going to be. And this is how he wraps it up. He says, if your heart loves money, that's what you value, you are going to go after that, no matter what you say that you're doing, no matter what you indicate, no matter what you tell your others, no matter how you lie yourself, whatever you value the most will rise to the top of these capitals. And, if, and what we know is if, if part of this is all of that sacrifice, it's, it's, it's taking all those, uh, those other capitals, investing into what Jesus says is the most important. So let me read you a scripture, and you all recognize this. This is Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21. I won't quote it all because I just talked about it, but verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I first read this, and I said, that's backwards, right? Because wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. This is what Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So something about how you take these capitals and invest them into the world, right? Invest them into God. And remember that one of the things he said was, how you do it in the small things will be how you do it in the big things. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I challenged him about his giving. He was asking about giving. And I said, I'm not telling you what to give. I'm just telling you you should. Because the Bible speaks to that. Not because Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So he doesn't need anything you got. He made it all. Duh. Right? But he's choosing to co-labor with you or you co-labor with him with your talents and your gifts and your money and your generosity and all those things. And this is the way he chose to do it. Regardless, this is the way he chose to do it. And you're saying that you know better. All I'm saying to you is, at some point in your life, and this is what he said to me, he said, you know, when I get that next big pay, pay increase, I'm going to start giving. I'm like, no, you won't. Stop lying to me and stop lying to yourself. And so I'm not just going after this and giving, but that's the one that's the most obvious. What about relationships? I don't have time for this community group that we're going to do as a church. Ain't nobody got time for that. I got busy. I got busy. I got a job. I got family. I, I got all these things, you know, I'm, I'm studying. Ah. And I'm, I'm just looking at it and go, relationships number two on the list. And Jesus is saying, take, you know, in the story, take money, take your intellect and your creativity, 
take, take that, the, uh, the physical capital, which is time and energy and, and that, and trade all of that for relationships. Are you doing that? And one way we do that at DCF is we go, if you're not connected outside of DCF and other, you don't have a strong group like that, start building this capital. Why? Because in all of that, we begin to deal with the eternal. All the rest of it, not eternal. But this moves into the eternal. And then the last thing is you take all of that relational capital and you spend it all for spiritual capital, for the kingdom's sake, to give it all away in service to our king. Why? Because at some point, all of this is going to go away. It's temporary. But all of that that we build into, that relationship, especially in spiritual capital, hangs around forever. So I just want to challenge you. Are, are you aware of the capitals and where they are on your list? And are you willing to reorder them? And let me finish with a statement. This is by a missionary who gave his life um, to, to reach the Alka Indians, who were an unreached people group. And they ended up killing him and several of his companions on a riverbank um, in South America. He said this at one point in his life. He was a young man. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. God, we, we want to hear and listen and grow. Lord, challenge us in all those ways. Lord, come after us. Jesus, be our teacher. Be our rabbi, be the master, Lord. And so often we think that you're only wanting to be nice, but Lord, you're wanting to be kind, but also truthful. Lord, you want to bring grace and we love it, but, but you bring grace and truth. That's who you are and what you, what you do. So Lord, we receive the challenge too. Lord, help us as we walk away from here to really ask the question, is my life in order? Am, am I living out kingdom economics? Am I doing your thing your way or I'm trying to mix myself into some of that. Lord, I just want, I want my heart to be open to you. And Lord, I don't want to put you on the throne of most of the rooms in my house. Lord, I just want to give my house away and come live in yours. So Jesus, would you speak to our hearts in every way to see us grow up and be everything that you called us to be, to walk in the fullness of our inheritance in this world and into the next. In your name we pray, amen. Our team is going to come up for prayer. We always put these up here at the... Either speak into you individually or have us pray and minister to you. So we would love to do that. Our team is going to be up here. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we'll see you next Sunday.